Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. What's up, and welcome to Social Jello with Angelo. Today I'm here with Patrick Griffith, who I met online. What a coincidence.、Um, actually, <laughs> I was talking to.、Uh, Uh, I was referred to Pat to Patrick by by my instructor, prof, now Professor Rani Segiri, and he's from a Kajukenbo background.、Um, for those of you who don't know, Kajukenbo is a martial art that started in Hawaii.、Uh, Google it, and you can learn more about it there. So, Patrick, first off, thank you very much for being on the show.、Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. This is going to be fun. Oh, no problem at all. So, you what? Started you in your? Well, I guess we'll start off with what martial arts do you practice now? <laughs> Actually, I, I do quite a few things.、Um, of course, like you were saying, kajukenbo.、Um, I also do jikundo. That's probably one of my main arts, honestly, that I've done the longest.、Um, a lot of the Filipino arts,、uh, the kali escrimarnis,、um, hapido. Um, tai Chi for my actually for my business that's what I do for my work.、Um, do some jujitsu. I do a lot of different things. I enjoy it all. I don't think there's a bad art, just bad students and bad teachers. <laughs> so, and you, you practice kajukenbo. Are you also an instructor in kajukenbo, or are you? That's where I well,、uh, big long story short, that's where I started in 1994. Oh, okay,、yeah. okay, all right, cool, cool. That, that's so, so you you're a black belt in kajukenbo. I actually have my、um, yes, I got、okay. that from grand, senior grandmaster Ron Pierce. All right, cool, cool. Yeah, that, that's something. It, it, not that it matters. I've interviewed people that are not black belts in kajukenbo. So people like, I had one person that I wanted to interview the other day, like, oh, I don't have a black belt in kajukenbo though. Is that okay? I'm like, it's not really a requirement to be on the show. It's just something I let the listeners know. <laughs> no, my my story is a little different than most, but yeah, I, I have, I actually got my grandmaster title、uh, from senior grandmaster Ron Pierce under his version of kajukenbo. All right. And,、uh, I've been with that, like I said, with him since late '93, early '94. Cool, cool. So, how did all this get started? What got you into martial arts? Why did you start doing it? Why did you start、uh, well, training? Actually, yeah, what got you into it? Well, actually,、um, to start off with, my again, mine's a little different. I was actually an athlete prior. I didn't start till my actually about 22.、Um, I played from I was a child till I through college,、uh, football, baseball, basketball, and I was a college basketball player. So I had done high-level athletics、um, with actually pro athletes and things of that nature for many years. And what happened was、um, when I was finished up with my college, actually I had a major injury that kind of ended my career. And I was like, okay, I was kind of got depressed, disappointed. And during that time, a buddy of mine, maybe a couple of years prior, was like, "Can you learn some karate and stuff like that?" So I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm all in." But I was still going to school and training, so I said, "I can't." And of course, I was into the Bruce Lee, like everybody was during that time. I think about maybe when I was about eleven, started watching Black Belt Theater and Bruce Lee and things of that nature.、Uh, so I said, "Yeah, when I get done with my sports, I'll jump in because I didn't want to get injured, throw off my athletic career."、Um, so it actually brought me back because I was depressed and like, man, I don't want to train anymore, and so on and so forth. And I started off first with、um, a girl that was actually at my work. Her parents were kung fu instructors. And they said, "Gee, you should come learn some." And I, I did a little bit. It was all backyard training、uh, down in San Diego. It was in this kind of、uh, 
ghetto part of San Diego. They just took me down there and said, hey, this is just banging it out. So I said, okay, and uh, really enjoyed it. And did it for a few months, maybe three, four months. And my buddy that I was going to train with during that time actually met a guy who um, was doing Ganja Kembo and was training with, with my teacher. Uh, back then he was Master Ron Pierce and uh, started training with him. And he's like, man, you got trained with this old dude. He's good. And I'm like, I knew nothing. Right. I just started watching like the ultimate fighting. I was, I watched the very first one. It was literally the exact same time that I did all this. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'd like to learn. So I basically started training with Ron Pierce, who is still my teacher after like 28 years. And um, he was the same time as senior grandmaster Rikinji, senior grandmaster Tony Balls. They all got their grandmaster title in 2002 together. So really a cool thing. And uh, so I, I was very fortunate just to meet some guy in his backyard. And I was pretty much me and my friend Dave were the youngest there. And he had about maybe 10 guys that he trained that were all at least black belt martial artists. Um, they have been training some 15, 20 years and they saw that I really wanted to learn. So they all started teaching me. So I had literally about probably 10 teachers all at the same time. So I was really fortunate on my part, so. And you said you got injured. What kind of injury did you get? I had a lot of major injuries. I uh, had a, I basically, the main one was a degenerative back disorder, right? Bulging disc in my back. And, and I tore my right ankle nine times, I tore, partially tore my kidney's tendon. I, you know, when you, when you train enough, things are going to happen. And a lot of this perseverance and just keep on pushing. So, yeah, I've had a lot of stuff, tore both my meniscus. Part and, of the so, and this all happened before you got into Kajigembo? A lot, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I had way more injuries as an athlete than I ever did. In my arts. Uh, you know, actually, um, and I was also a heavy lifter. I used to, you know, at 180 pounds, I was deadlifting 500 pounds and doing, I was, I was, cause I was a running back in football and it's all power, power. So I was doing a lot of back then before they called it plyometrics, they called it Russian box jumping. So I was doing plyometrics 32, three, about 33 years ago. And all that stuff was just impactful on the body. And, and um, most of my injuries came before that. That's what kind of got me out of athletics. And uh, the martial arts kind of brought my energy back just to be in, enjoying the athletics again. So. Wow. So that, that's, that's interesting. Cause like right now, like the, the, the current generation gets into martial arts to do a bunch of, of the things that you just mentioned. Like they, they, they see, they, they watch the UFC and they see how the, how they're all they're pretty much mixing now like athletic training with martial arts training, right. but you already came from the athletic training and you were looking to heal. And how, how old were you when you got into Kaju Kembo? I was actually 22. You were 22. I was okay. as soon as I got done with my athletics at 21, I started doing it. So I've been doing it for now 28 years. And you, you said you just watched the first UFC yeah, it was 93. It was right about that exact same time that I started watching that I started training. It was like November 93, December, maybe January 94. I actually started training. It was the exact same time. I remember watching the first UFC with my buddies. Uh, one of my friends was a black belt in uh, Kempo. And I was like, I think I started like literally a month after that first one. I just happened to jump in. Just all coincidence and fate. And and for you, as you got into Kaju Kembo, did you immediately connect that video you saw to what you were doing with Kaju Kembo? Or was that, did you see What's those things? What's funny is my teacher, and a lot of people know, I'll say two things. One is 
I've trained with a ton of people. So when we go through your screen, we'll see a, a list of who's who. And two things. One is it was nothing because of my ability. It was actually because uh, Ron Pierce, everybody knows Ron Pierce is a super nice guy. And everybody loves Ron Pierce. And um, secondly, because I was a nice kid who wanted to learn. So it wasn't like I was a first round draft pick, like, oh, you got to train this guy. He's so great. No, none of it was that at all. I just got really fortunate. And uh, like, you know, see Joan Parada. Uh, he was my neighbor. I didn't know that. So <laughs> what? I, he lived in, yeah, he lived in uh, Rancho Bernardo. And Ronnie and I, Professor Ronnie Zagiri, your teacher, live in Escondido. So a lot of times what would happen is my teacher would take him to a lot of the, like the Kajikembo um, seminars in Las Vegas and the tournaments, we would drive. So I was kind of like the official, okay, the guy getting beat up and also the, the uh, gopher for probably about 10 years. <laughs> so uh, with Dietschy, Grandmaster, uh, Senior Grandmaster Dietschy, they all lived in Rancho Bernardo. Um, if he's, you know, Parada came to my home for one of my birthday things, nothing because of me. It was, and I didn't even, and honestly, at first, I did not know that I was doing Kaji Kembo. My teacher was in his backyard and he would just train. So he would say, yeah, let's train. So I never knew for the first two years, I called it all. I thought Kung Fu and Karate were the same thing. I never knew there were different styles. And he would bring somebody in and I'd be like, oh, cool. I'm training Kung Fu Karate stuff. Um, never knew. Um, like my Hapkido, was with one of the uh, grandmasters from the um, from the temples of Korea, and uh, like Ronnie knows, I'm senior grandmaster uh, Hong, and I train with him. And I never they say we're going to do some grab bar grappling stuff. Okay, cool. I didn't know, so I was very fortunate. And everything's been luck. I can't say everything. <laughs> so super fortunate. So, so again, you as far as what you did. You started doing Kaju Kembo, but you didn't really. It sounds like you weren't going in to be the next UFC fighter. You, you didn't see it like this is UFC training. You didn't see it that way. You were just no. I just, I just wanted basically, and I still do this to this day. I always say my uh, my mission statement is to have a little exercise, have a little fun, and to learn some self defense. So when people come work out with me, it's very laid back. We train hard, but I want it to be workout. Because I always tell people I have to make you an athlete first before I make you a martial artist. So I take a lot of guys who have no athletic ability and pretty soon they're, you know, I have trained some MMA fighters and things like that at some of the MMA schools I've taught at. Uh, but it was, I, I had no inkling to fight. I was offered quite a few times, especially when it first started. Um, everybody has different abilities. Mine is hitting. And I was known for being, because I trained with pro boxers and I was one of my friends was under Boss Root and Olaf Takara. And he said at 175, back then there weren't a lot of hitters yet. He said, you can win. And I'm like, I don't want to hurt anybody. So I just, he said, it's good you know that because if you don't, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. Because yeah. I just wanted to help people. So I just said, I'm cool. You know, I, it wasn't an ego thing for me. I just kept learning, 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 and advancing. You know, I, I always picked up quickly because I just had a thirst for it. So, and, you started doing it when you were 22. Um, as you started moving along, did, were you were you just wearing street clothes or, or were you having to wear a gi when you started? How, I was wearing street clothes and everybody else was wearing gis and kung fu outfits because I didn't like it. I never was the traditionalist. And after two years, I never wanted any rank. So after two years, I was still a white belt. 
And my teacher said, this is ridiculous. You're the baddest white belt walking the face of the earth. So he said, we, you can't be. So I didn't want to test. I just want to train and learn. I didn't care if I was a white belt, ninth degree black belt, nothing. It didn't mean anything to me. So after about two years for my birthday, actually right before my birthday, they said, you need to wear a gi or wear a kung fu outfit because they, they got a school down in San Diego. Because I live a little bit about half an hour south of San or north of San Diego, excuse me. So I know, you know, that because of Ronnie and all them. But um, so they said, you have to wear a kung fu outfit or a gi or you're going to get kicked out of school. You can't be coming in sweats and t-shirts. Now we're going to be professional, quote unquote. So I said, those kung fu pants look like sweatpants. I'll buy those. Well, they weren't happy with that. So for my birthday, they bought me a gi. And I wore it, uh, I think, once or twice. And they said, okay, just go back to your kung fu pants. Because I hate it. So, not my thing. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 I, 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 <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think you're, for people that are listening, wondering what, what's going on. Um, for the Kaju Kembo, some of the schools where black, most of the traditional schools, quote unquote traditional, will wear black geese. Um, and then some some of the schools will do Kung Fu outfits. Uh, modern day today, uh, I'm noticing a lot of other stuff. I know at my school, I don't have much of a rule except for please do not wear a white gi. That's still, I think that's the only rule I actually made is if you want to wear a gi, Wear a black gi. I prefer you wear a jujitsu gi or a judo gi so it doesn't get ripped. Right. And then if you do wear that, then I can show you some more stuff uh, as far as judo and some submissions like the, the front collar chokes and stuff. Um, but that, again, that's your choice. Uh, but just don't wear a white gi because I know from where I was brought up for Kajukembo, the white gis were everyone else and the black gis were a good staple of what a Kajukembo person would look like at a tournament. So that was, the, that was the only really rule I put out there, which bummed out one of my Kikushin friends because he really wanted to wear his white gi. I'm like, sorry, but that's like the only rule I got is just to wear a white gi. Especially the Japanese arts, that's what they're known for. Like, yeah, his white gi. Yeah, yeah. Change for those folks. Yeah, I told him, if you want to wear, you can wear your, you want to wear your white karate pants and a t-shirt, you can do that. <laughs> but please don't wear the gi. That's all. Right. Don't wear white gi. That's all. That's all. I don't want someone getting confusing. The Kaju Kimbo class has has people wearing white gis. But um, back back to your story. You're doing your thing. You, they told you you had, they let you get a, around the uniform thing. You're, you're wearing what you wanted to wear. You're comfortable. You, you, how old are you at this point? How long have you been doing it at that point? I'm probably about three, four years into it. And um, they just saw that I really wanted to learn. I and mean, I was, before YouTube, I probably had a hundred different style martial art videos just trying to suck up knowledge. Um, probably at least a hundred books, trying to always keep getting knowledge. And uh, people noticed that, that I really wanted to learn. I would train, I would, besides, I would always work out about two to three hours a day with my own personal training, plus two, two three hours a day. So I'm still finishing up my degree. So I was still probably doing about four to five hours every day. And for a beginner, that's kind of insane, but I've always been a, a very focused person. So during that time, my teacher just said, um, you can train with whoever you want, because he knew I was gonna, I was loyal. So everything else from there, it's like um, he took he took me to people. So, for instance, I said, yeah, I want to learn more grappling. He took me to that Grandmaster Stephen Hong down in San Diego. And I basically was his private student. Uh, about once a week, I'd see him for a year. I have no rank in, in uh, Hapkido, but um, 
he just saw I wanted to learn. And he owned a martial art uh, supply store. So I would go down and he never charged me to train with him. He, what he would do is I would buy like a book. And they'd be like, okay, I'll show you and he'd teach me. And then I come in every Friday for about a year because I was working down there. And I learned a lot of my Hapkido, what they called Nimbo Masul, which is a stick art of uh, the Hapkido from him uh, during that time. So quite an honor, totally lucky. So at that point, I've probably been doing about five or six years. And I started teaching Tai Chi because my teacher was doing some Tai Chi and actually was teaching um, Dichan Parada Tai Chi. So I, me and her were working with Grandmaster Pierce with Tai Chi. And he, he's one of those people, he would do a class, go, oh, you know, he'd work at a place like 24-hour fitness. And he'd go, oh, you know, I'm getting more, why don't you take it over? So all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know enough Tai Chi. So that made me focus on learning a lot more, and I took over the program. And during that time, I bumped into a gentleman about 1999. So at that point, I've been training now for about five, six years, named Lester Cohen. He had been with uh, Chuck Norris system and also with Danny Mazzotto, one of his lead students. So he and I became great friends, and for 20 plus years, um, that was my first really going into the Jeet Kune Do was with Lester. Uh, he just passed away recently, which broke my heart, and uh, he's who introduced me to Danny Mazzato. So I trained with Grandmaster Pierce in classes, privately, seminars, demos, everything. Uh, with Lester and I, we trained privately, just training ourselves, and then I trained with Danny Mazzato through seminars. So that's where my first step into kind of learning Jeetu Know is from that. So then from there, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, so at this point, how old are you? you um, right point, I'm probably about 27, 28. Okay, so, so 22, 24, so about, about, about five, six, seven years, five, six years. Six or seven years have passed. You started, you started in Kajukembo. That was your first martial art that you got into. You kind of fell into Kajukembo. Mm -hmm. And then um, and then next came Hapkido. And then now we're in Tai Chi through, through your connections. And it's been about seven years. Did you, um, at this point, what rank did you have? Again, I fought off every rank. So it took them forever to get ranks to me. So I would... I would fight and I go and I probably because I, I picked it up rather quickly. I think at that point I was probably about a second degree black belt. Okay. So <laughs> let's 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 go back a little further then. Sure. Um did uh what did you uh how was obviously you never cared about rank, hmm. but you started teaching at some point. Um when did you feel before we talk about the rank? When did you feel that this was something you wanted to teach or share? I never wanted to teach. Uh, what happened was, again, I was always the guy that was in the back of the room. I was always just learning, learning, learning. The guy without the key, the guy goofing around, just having a great time training and just banging away. I like Because I was very competitive for my athletic endeavors. So um, I could be somewhat overbearing just because I wanted to learn so bad that I could train three, four hours. I'd be like, yeah, let's keep, you know, that's the type of person I am. So I didn't want to teach. In 1997, after only about three, four years, Grandmaster Pierce said, I want you to start teaching people. And I said, why? I don't even, I don't want to. He goes, because you'll learn more because you figure out all the mistakes you're making because if you, don't, if you can't explain it and break it down, that means you're not doing it right. 
so he maybe get some private students and that's why i started teaching tai chi as well okay. was in 97. so i basically started about 94 by let's say it was about four years i started actually teaching a person here it wasn't like classes it'd be a person in my backyard a person here so that's kind of where i started doing martial arts teaching but then also doing group classes for tai chi was in 97. so and about a year or so later about 98 actually about 98 is when i met lester cohen and also during that time i met another gentleman named gordon Liss. gordon Liss was under guru david sparks who was under guru um, ted lokai lokai who was also a danny Mazzato, one of you know bruce lee's people so i was getting tons of that aspect all at the same time a lot of the colleagues from our niece and a lot of the JKD was during that time, about 98 is when I really started delving into it, so. And when your instructor asked you to start um, teaching, did you have a black belt at that point or? No, I think okay. I got it, uh, maybe it was a little bit later. I don't remember exactly. I think, cause he was like, um, he said, he kept started bringing me up the ranks. He was like, you know, I'd go in these places and I'd be sitting there teaching. Like, I, I, would, I wouldn't bring any belts with me and I'd be sitting there teaching. Like, if you go, oh, I'm going to do a seminar. They go, oh, why don't you teach some, Pat? And also, I'm teaching like six to seven black belts and I'm like a purple belt. And he wouldn't tell them. So he said, you need to have some sort of rank. This is ridiculous. So I may have been about that time, maybe about four years ago, I got my black belt. But really, I consider it more like a junior black belt. Like, I was working my way up because it wasn't really ever like awarded to me in the aspect of like here's your black belt you would just say it's time for you to teach so it was a, a little bit different aspect but um none of my training is normal and none of my uh none of the ways my history is not normal that's why i would tell people <laughs> was asking, I go, well it wasn't like i was in a martial arts school a lot of it was backyard different places where he'd say oh i want you to learn some boxing and then he took me to dick burroughs and i didn't really train with dick burroughs but i just like once, but he was also Bruce Lee. So that was as early as about 90, about the same time, about maybe 96 or so, I'd say. So um, maybe 96, 97. So I got all these influences all at the same time. And none of it was because like I was deserving. Just They all would say like, oh, you're a nice kid. And they would show me stuff. And I would just soak it up like crazy. And like, wow, you picked it up already? And I'm like, yeah, because I was always taught, like Ron told me, he said, this form is mine. I wasn't into forms. I hate forms. They're not my thing. I mean, they're great for many reasons. But for me, I already had all the foundation of athleticism prior. So the forms for me were, were not, were just weren't really applicable to, for me, other people, not for me. So he always told me, this form is mine. Until you've done it a thousand times, then it's yours. So I took that, therefore, as everything that I learned, I had to do at least a thousand times to get the muscle memory, and then I can make it mine. So that's what I would do. So I don't have a ton of stuff, but everything I have is streamlined, so I can do it no matter what type of resistance. So that's kind of my thought process. So. And so for you, and one thing I always want to say is, I've said this before on the show, and it's part of the part of the Kaju Kembo series project is to just kind of show other Kaju Kembo schools, how other schools operate. Um, mm -hmm. one, one thing that that's different from Kaju Kembo and other arts is we are given a lot of freedom to do whatever we want. Once we get, once we get our instructor certificate, 
uh, as long as we don't, you know, do anything illegal, um, we can pretty much do whatever we want with our programs and stuff. We're given right. complete freedom of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, ex, ex, uh, artistic expression. expression. Yeah, artistic expression. Right. So we're we're, we're given that, um, and because of that, the schools look very different. So for you, it. Was there a was there like a black belt test or is your instructor more casual about this process? Well, it was it was more casual, but also, like you said, I don't teach white belts, so I was getting like thoroughly beaten on and thoroughly just like hardcore training from basically the first day I walked in. So it wasn't, and I was getting like a lot of information thrown at me, and none of these people knew my rank, so they all assumed because I was taken to them that I was really already a black belt or higher. So I was never taught per se, the basics and the aspect of it was, you get the basics while we're going, we're, we're, we're going high level. And I just had to swim or drown. So I just <laughs> went, okay. And, but it wasn't pressure. I never thought about it. Like, oh my God, I would just like, I just had a good time. And it was always fun for me. And I always made it kind of a jovial fun time. Even if we were training really hard to me, it was just playing around and, um, I just kept, I think that's what made me pick it up quicker because it was never stress. Never was like, oh my gosh, go for a purple test. I would just train. And, you know, I was, I was always told I was kind of the, the redheaded stepchild and the special one because I don't think anybody's ever really been taught by at least my teacher this way. It was totally different. And then about that same time, all his students basically moved. And it was just me and him. So from about maybe 98 till probably the early 2000s, he would train me privately. So I would go and I was still finished up with my college degree back in the late 90s. And being young and dumb, I didn't even think about it. I would pay him like $50 a month. That's how cheap it was. I was training like four to five days a week privately. And I would pay him. He said, oh, just come and pay me each time. So I would pay him like $10 each class or something like that, right? And I would pay him. And we'd sit there for like an hour or two working out, me and him. So I'm getting private now. Then by that point, he's gone into Seagong and now he's in a prison professor now. So I'm going to train the professor. And then every time we get done, it was in the morning usually, he'd have to go to work. So he'd go, let's go out to breakfast first. Well, I never thought he'd always take my money that I gave him and take me out to breakfast. So I never paid for training with him, really. Because he just liked me and, and we'd sit there and talk and ask a million questions. And again, everything for me was luck. I mean, just get there. Now he's, like I said, I think it was the 13th senior grandmaster, 13th grandmaster, Roger Campbell ever. And it was, he lived like um, in San Marcos, maybe five minutes away from him. And nobody knew it. So I was totally lucky. And so you're, 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 you're going along, you're training. Um, your goal was not rank. Your goal was not, to become some sort of UFC fighter. Your uh, goal was not to start some sort of career as a martial artist. Mm-hmm. No, you, what, what, what were you doing for your, what were your career goals? Like, so you're, you're an athlete coming up. So I'm guessing somewhere in there, maybe at one point in your life, you want to be a professional athlete. Is that correct? Well, at that, before my injuries, I mean, I wanted to be, but I knew I honestly, I knew I wasn't good enough at some point you just go, Hey, let's be really realistic. A five foot nine kid. I mean, yeah, I could, back then I could dunk a basketball, more like a volleyball and a mini ball. Now I think I dunk our donuts. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, uh, when I went into the martial arts, for me, it wasn't to become anything. I, 
I was actually going to be a teacher for my profession. That's what I was going to college for. And actually, when I when I got injured, I got so depressed. I thought I'm going to quit school. I'm just going to screw it. I'm just going to get a job or whatever. And because of the arts, I kept going. I got my degree. And during that time, I started teaching Tai Chi. And that's actually my, my job. What I do is I, I actually developed a program called Chair Chi, which is Tai Chi in a chair. So it's a whole system. What I do is I go around the nation and I work with mostly with what they call activity directors and senior living communities and physical, occupational, and a recreational therapist. So I've taught in 30 states in Canada, and I've certified, a, before COVID, I was at 4,100 people I've taught around the nation. I've certified working with about 40,000 seniors. And I've taught in, again, 30 states in Canada. So that's what my business is, Chair Chi, and that's what I do. And um, the martial arts, it's great to get to help people. I mean, I get, you know, um, to help people with different ailments and, and everything. My, my oldest student the other day is 105. Um, you know, also I ever taught at 107, but I also work with younger people. Like I was one of the people helping Ronnie when he was going through COPD. I was going to his house twice a week. We were working together to get him to walk. And he actually was coming to my house to do like training in the pool. We did once and then COVID hit, but you know, we, um, we've been through a lot together and I'm so happy to see him doing well. Just, it's awesome. So it's, it's my job is to help people. And um, it's quite an honor. So I don't consider myself like some bad dude. I mean, I, I taught a lot of really good martial artists. And I've got to teach a lot of different things, but um, I would have never been a good fighter because I, I, I would hit you and I'd say, are you okay? And then I get the crap out. <laughs> so I just know, I know what I can and can't do. I don't have the mindset. Um, I have the ability and I've been offered quite a few times to get some pretty big stuff, um, but I've declined uh, graciously and also intelligently because um even if i was better i wouldn't i couldn't do that to somebody i, I feel bad so nothing against that. i love him i mean i, I study it all the time and then just kind of looking like at your again you you wanted to be a teacher mm -hmm. and you were studying in school so obviously it wasn't like you wanted to be a martial arts instructor you you were looking at I don't know a high, high school teacher or what, what were you where were you actually I was, I was i was thinking about second or third grade uh, my degree was liberal arts and my background was sociology. And I was going to go into the teaching credential program. And that's actually when I started teaching Tai Chi. And I kind of trailed, oh, they do a little Tai Chi. And, you know, 24 years later, I never went back. I just started doing more and more. And I said, I think I could adapt Tai Chi. And that's when I made my own program, started adapting more and more. And that's when I, I worked with healthcare associations around the nation. Um, it's it's I never thought it would be this big. I mean, I'd probably be about 4,500 people right now if it wasn't for COVID. But I, I just did something last uh, last month for the Ohio state of Ohio, the rec therapy. I just did for the nation, for the recreational therapist, for the nation, a presentation. Um, I'm doing one next month for Canada, uh, for the east part of Canada, a presentation. So to get to present to people and share and hear people like, oh, I can walk because of you. And I'm like, I never even met you. Cool. You know, um, most people don't, honestly, this is the first time I've ever put in, in public that I do martial arts. Nobody knows I do martial arts. Nobody knows I train. So for, I, I'm like a, a lot of the people say I'm, I'm the most well-known hidden martial artist ever because <laughs> I, I, I've been doing it for 28 years and every day I do something and I'm never out in public really. So even you can ask Ronnie for years, he had heard about me, we live in the same town. He never had seen me. 
So we ever talked to Professor Ronnie about it. He was look. I guess I didn't know it. He was looking because I heard about my weapons, the sticks, and that's what I, I do. And he has one hundred sticks, and I never. I, he didn't know who I was, and I lived ten minutes away from him. I just come <laughs> out in public. So. And then your Tai Chi program, like you said, um, mostly you worked with uh, the medical community, Correct. right? So how how did that happen? How did you end up? Working with the medical community and convincing them to, to use Tai Chi with, with again, totally lucky again, nothing by my ability or my great uh, knowledge of what I was doing. But basically, I started teaching that 24 hour fitness regular Tai Chi, and I was doing that to help pay for some of my schooling. And one of the um exercise directors there, my boss, came up to me and said, You need to work with seniors, this is your niche. And I'm like, Yeah, whatever, I didn't know what she was talking about. So she said, I'm an activity director in a senior living community. You need to come there and work with some of these folks. So I started working with one group. And I figured out, first of all, they had no idea what Tai Chi was. They thought it was a, ch- a Chinese cooking class. They're like, I'd like some Kung Pao Tai Chi chicken, please. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. Uh, I, and I was like, I'm, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> I also figured out that Tai Chi was way too advanced for these people who are nine years old. Then I started thinking, maybe I can help other places. So uh, right now, like this, I work right now at over 20 communities. I do 36 classes a week with about 400 uh, seniors working independent living, assisted, skilled nursing, post-acute rehab, memory care. I've worked at probably over 40 different communities around the nation, and around, excuse me, around San Diego. So I'm, all of it just luck and people see, I just want to help people. And that's why a lot of the grandmasters in Project Demo are supportive of me. Because they know, um, I just want to help. You know, like um, like Grandmaster Tony Bowles. I don't know if you know him, but he's super supportive of me. And he's also a Grandmaster Kosher under Thomas Matosin. And I see him occasionally and uh, work with him with some of the chair chief. He's just such a nice man. He's been like um, so supportive of what I do, you know. So um, total honor. And other people support him, like um, Bob Suttles. He's a Grandmaster in Kajikemo under Grandmaster Pierce. He's also a Jikundo and one of the, probably the best Kali men I've ever met. He is phenomenal. And he put me under his wing as well since 2002. He's, he's worked with me. And Grandmaster Pierce, no ego, says, hey, train with everybody. So I went for Grandmaster Bob Suttles, and then he introduced me to Steve Holman, who was also one of Brucey's original students. So I've trained with Bob Suttles through group classes, seminars, demos. I've been a Zuke. Um, Steve Golden, I've trained with him privately as well. Um, group classes, seminars. I've gone, you know, I've been so lucky. I mean, because somebody goes, hey, and I just go, hey, would you show me stuff? And then pretty soon we start chit-chatting. And then pretty soon, 15 years later, I'm still training with all these people. And all of them know this. And I, I there's never a problem. I never have people like, boy, you train with him now. I guess get to train with everybody. And I still have more. We still have time. I got more people I train with. And, and even at the schools, I tra- teach at quite a few schools in the area. And none of them get mad that I'm not part of their system. And none of them get mad that I go to other schools because they're competitive. You think, go, hey, this guy's going to this school and this school. But they're like, hey, I'm a nice guy and I'm sharing what I do. So there's, I never have anybody say, like, hey, I'll come to teach at his school. I'm only supposed to teach at mine. I can teach wherever I want, you know. So. And, and, works, and, and again, so like for you, it just worked out that way. It wasn't like it wasn't like you sat down and came up with some sort of marketing plan to sell Tai Chi to, to elderly care centers. Someone else saw you teaching Tai Chi at 24 Hour Fitness 
they felt that would be a, they were an activity director so obviously that that was their field of work and they saw what you were doing and said this would work great for 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 senior care and brought you in through that path and you kind of just went with it and just it, it was working so it just it worked out and even expanding around the nation wasn't a plan um what happened was san diego i was teaching at all these different places and i did i worked seven days a week I don't have time to go to the bathroom. I'm always going different places driving. And they said, you need to do a seminar in Southern California for the activity directors. Oh my God, what do you mean seminar? They teach us, I'm like, I'm, I'm winging it. I, what are you talking? So I made up a seminar. I made up a seminar and this lady walked up and she goes, how many seminars have you done? I said, you mean including this one? She goes, yeah. I said, one. <laughs> And she was like, wow, you should, you should do this all over the nation. I'm like, I don't think people are going to be interested. Well, I didn't know that that's what she did for, um, she was a rec therapist that actually was a teacher, rec therapist nationwide named Michelle Nolta. And she just passed away a few years ago, but she was very influential. She said, she took me to this national thing for activity directors. And then all of a sudden I shot around the nation. I mean, now I've taught well over 200 seminars around the nation and I've been, wasn't nothing was planned. I was like, I'm going to go plan. My business plan was I walked in and I just was honest. I said, this is what I do. I want to help people. And um, that's how it went. It wasn't like I had this great business plan with great business partners. Nah, nothing out of that. And, and actually that gentleman, Lester Cohen, who was under Dana Nazanto, he was a lawyer by trade and he had Parkinson's. So he retired and he said, I want to help you. So he kind of helped put my, my first videos together, my first little manuals and actually made the trademark and got it copyrighted. So it wasn't because of me. So many people have supported me because all I do is help people. Uh, there's tons of martial artists out there better than me. I think I probably have one of the best imaginations to put all these arts together to kind of mix and match. Because before MMA, I was always saying, I need to weaken the area. I got to take it and I got to break it. So that's how I teach people. Weak in the area, take it and break it. You can't be sitting there just doing jiu-jitsu. You can't just be doing boxing because I've trained with two professional boxing coaches that wanted me to, at 40 years old, wanted me to turn a pro boxer. So they're like, you could be a world champ. I said, no, nah, I don't want brain damage. I'm good, you know? But uh, so to me, MMA is, is involved. And when it's involved, it's turning a lot of stuff that I preached for the last 20 years. I said, first you got to weaken them, then you take them down and you finish them off. And Kaja Kemba had that same thought process with Emperor and the other founders back in 47, but they were still young. People forget when Kaja Kemba was made, Emperor was 21. 1947, he was born in 1926. So people forget when he was made Kaja Kemba, he was a kid. I mean, think about what you've learned. I believe you're what, a sensei or a sifu, correct? Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, uh, my rank is uh, third degree, uh, if we use the title Sifu. I'm in Japan. Everyone calls me sen- sensei. Everybody calls me sensei in Japan. So that's, yeah, that's, exactly. why, I, that's yeah. why I threw it out there. Right, exactly. <laughs> but they were kids. So Kaji Kemba was in an infant form, but they were trying to put it together. I think MMA um, has that thought process. Only thing about MMA, I think they've become almost too much of a system right now. You need to still keep it spicy, like keep adding and keep making it better. I think some people have made it like, okay, I've got to start with these combos, jab, cross, hook, jab, cross, roundhouse. They get so numerous, it's so numerated in everything they do now. So sometimes I go, guys, you got to like freestyle off this. Don't just come in and go jab, cross, roundhouse, because pretty soon I'm going to read that. And then I'm going to make it deceptive. I'm going to change the beat on you and then you're screwed. 
or even worse, like out here in Japan, I noticed because Japan has such a background in grappling because of judo, right? Mm -hmm. And and as soon as they saw, as soon as they started noticing the UFC, they immediately had a lot of respect for the Gracie family because they mm -hmm. recognized it as judo lineage. They're like, oh, right. this is like this is pretty much where judo can go if we were, if we did a street application. Mm -hmm. So their mentality, when I came out here and started doing MMA and I told them I did this thing called Kajikembo, but I didn't have this strong background in grappling. They were just, they were confused by the entire process. Cause for them, MMA was grappling. Like that's what it was. It was grappling with some striking, but mostly it's grappling. Even if it wasn't Gracie, you're still going to have the catch rest and stuff. So like, I literally, um, I cross-trained with uh, with the Gracie Baja guys out here, mm -hmm. and I listened to them talk about MMA, and it's very based in grappling for them. In fact, my 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 grappling coach got into Gracie Jiu-Jitsu because he felt he was studying MMA. He wanted he wanted to he wasn't ready he wasn't going to compete, but he wanted to train in MMA. And that's why he did Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Well, for me, I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I wanted to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I see it as a sport. I see it as a separate sport with a separate set of rules. And I, now, like, he was talking, he was saying that he's disappointed lately in, in high-level MMA, UFC, and even one championship. He says there's not that many grapplers anymore. They're all kickboxers, he said. And I don't argue with the guy because, you know, that's, that's what they do in Japan. Right. But in my head, I was thinking it's not that they're all kickboxers. It's that they finally found the answer for the grappling. They finally found out, hey, if, I'm, if I am a kickboxer or a karate guy and I don't want to grapple, I need to learn these three defenses to keep it standing the way I, where I can win. And now right. you're seeing... And you, you keep seeing this in MMA. At first, the grapplers were dominating. The Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys were dominating. Then the wrestlers were dominating. Right. Now the kickboxers and karate guys have figured out. Now they're they're coming up. And so, like, it's this constant flow of figuring out the next thing. And like you said, some people still approach it as a system. Like, you have to learn boxing. In America, I feel like a lot of people are going boxing. In Japan, I feel like they're going, they're going grappling, then kickboxing. Right. But mm -hmm. they 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 they're still seeing it as it, like these categories or boxes of styles, rather than looking at it for what it could be. Like you said, just a free for all. Like yeah, you learn how to do these combinations, or you learn. I, I say techniques. I wouldn't even say. I, I, like you said, going the combination route means you're going to be countered. So it's better to say you should learn the jab, the hook, a low kick, and then start varying your own personal combinations. Write them down and coming up with them. And that's what it could be, but still, some people are going to no a, a jab a jab straight hook is the is the bread and butter or the or the hook the hook straight is the bread and butter. That's what you guys should be learning every time. Left hooks all day, and and you know, and then they got the grappling guys saying it should be waiting for the guy to strike and then clinch him right away and put him to the ground and, and choke him out. So it's interesting to see that. Well, also too, you have to remember as well that Japan when it started in '93 with UFC. A few years later is when Shuto or shoot fighting came in, shoot wrestling, different names, shoot boxing, a lot of difference, and also pancreas. So they were used to just pretty much pancreas like Boss Root and Frank Shamrock. They couldn't punch, it was only palm strikes. So they were like, there wasn't really per se striking because even the palm strikes are effective, but it was to a point that became more of a grappling match. 
again, I've been saying for 20 years, you know, I got to weaken you first and I take you down and finish you off. So I think the arts have evolved. And I think, I think of about four or five things. I see distance, you have to know your ranges, your fighting measure, deception, faking, closing the gap, timing. And those type of things are essential in all martial arts. Distance, deception, timing, closing the gap. You know, and I think a lot of times people try to make it this so do this. Do, all techniques are good and all techniques are bad. You don't have your distance, deception, time to close the gap. They're not, they're none of them going to work. So when I try to show people things, I give them kind of a concept. They're not even going to say concept. That's such a general term now, especially in JKD. JKD concept. To me, I'm giving you an idea. And also I have to figure out what works for you. And we're all built different. Like I'm five, nine, 180 pounds. And uh, I have to reach, my arms are like literally the reach of like a six foot two person. So I have really good reach for a short, relatively average size guy. And if you look at me, people go, oh, you should work out. I work out for 30, I've been working out consistently since I was 13. So 37 years, but I don't look big and buff, but I, everything I work on is fast twitch muscle fiber, plyometrics, which is basically you've got your, your um, cardio, but basically I also want explosive power. So everything I teach people is how to get explosive power because a lot of people get these techniques, but if they can't explode it, the rapid, bam, I'm going to blast through you. None of it's going to work, whether it's self-defense, because people try to segment self-defense. I think of it all, fighting's fighting. And I think people don't give credit to MMA that they, that they know how to fight on the street. You know, and I think that, that they took a lot of the ideas of the dim mock poison hand death touch and figured out that stuff doesn't work. Because I first started training to hit the nose and the bone goes to the brain and kills them. They figure out, oh, it's just curvilege. That doesn't happen. Or you know, right there in the xiphoid and it's going to go into their lung and kill. That doesn't happen. Um, but sometimes they get a little too robotic right now. You can see like, okay, I got started my Muay Thai. I'm going to try to get my, my plum flower clinch. And then, no, no. I may fake here and all of a sudden I shoot and I hit. Wham! And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, I hit me. That was cheating. No, I just changed the beat. You know, so not saying I'm all-knowing, just I know what works for me. And to me, as a good instructor, I have to figure out what works for you, not just make a cop carbon copy of me. And to me, that's what MMA is, is kind of, it's getting there, but it's a little stagnant, but it's young. It's only 28 years old. And I think it will get to that level in time as long as um, people are like, somebody like Anderson Silva, he was training with Danny Desanto just to pick up different things. Now he's into boxing, he's doing phenomenal. So, um, I think it's leave your ego at the door and then like absorb what I can from everybody else. I, I always say, I cheat off everybody I can. I will steal from you as much as I can. And if you're offended, don't worry. Because I tell you that when I first meet you, like if, I, I've watched your videos. I've watched your bad work you put on Facebook. I watched your combos. I'm like, cool. Uh, you did an actual Muay Thai sweep on one of your students the other day. I said, oh, I like that one. Because when it came in, you did it with your back leg. And there, some people do it with the front. So I said, oh, cool. good, good sweep there. You know, um, I analyze everybody. I can figure out, I, I try to figure out people move and get their timing. Not to say I'm ever going to fight anybody, but I already know your weaknesses. And then people don't know mine. That's kind of what I think of. So I've analyzed, I watch more martial art YouTube videos than probably anybody for no reason. But I like to analyze the way people move and keep making my art better by um, keep adding to my stuff and then taking out stuff because I'm 50 now. I don't move like I did when I was 20. So I go, okay, maybe something worked when I was 20 was my bread and butter. Now it's not. But I don't, I don't forget it. I teach it to everybody. They get to make their own bread and butter. That's I, I don't teach a lot of people 
I maybe have about 70 people that come to my home and then I go to different schools and I help, but I, I don't say like, like, nobody moves like me and I don't move like anybody. I, if you look at Grandmaster Ron Pierce, I don't know if you've ever met him, but people don't even know I'm his students. They go, you move nothing like Ron. Thank you. No, but I, don't I think move like anybody. I think you're touching on a really good point. And that's what I've been trying to not, not say, but people have mentioned that when they hear the interviews with the different Kajikembo schools, different practitioners, that we all, we all have the same thing in common that we did, that we practiced Kajikembo or practiced and now we're doing whatever we're doing, but there's always that Kajikembo root, but how we express that is, is different. And that's something I'm always telling my students as well, but it's going to be different for you. It's going to be different for you as compared to them. That's why, like, when they ask me, like, what are you looking for for my next belt? And I say, okay, well, there's the curriculum that's written up there on the wall because people kept asking me. They wanted to see something written. I wrote it down for you. These are the specific things because people asked. And that's all I keep emphasizing that because people asked, I have put something together for you to make it easier for you. Mm -hmm. Always remember that you can know none of that. <laughs> Absolutely none of that. You can completely forget Palama one, two, punch one, punch two, but right. demonstrate something else during sparring that I feel is is what I'm looking for in that rank, and you'll rank up. So my advice is, yeah, it's good to have that in mind, but just remember that this is I'm looking at every single student as your individual progress, and all of you are going to individually progress you if i did this right you should all be progressing differently you shouldn't be all looking like you said a copying like a like a like a paper mill of the same kind of person over and over again that's what people do a lot of times for example just because we're saying kajikemba they want to look like emperada i can't look like emperada he's the founder or people because they see bruce lee on video i don't try to move like bruce lee i can't move like bruce lee but bruce lee can't do some things i can do because why should I sit there and I think sometimes we idolize these people so much that they're they're all human beings. If right now Bruce Lee came out of his grave, he would, you know, I can hit him and he would hit me and he probably would. But that doesn't mean I'm not. I think people think like, oh, you know, because um, one thing I love about like when I, I saw you interview at Hackleman and I have a lot of the same views as he does, like with sparring, I always say, hey, unless you're fighting, you don't spar. I, I used to spar 100% all the time. And back then the equipment was crap like we basically use this foam type. i have scars i'm going maybe i could avoid it a few of these scars if i would have maybe went 20 percent, you know yeah. and after going to the hospital a few times i thought maybe i can adapt this or maybe when i a couple of times i concussed a friend of mine maybe i said maybe we should adapt this because we were you know we we're using the, the foam gloves and going 100 and i was the smallest guy in our group at 5 980 big guys were 240 and our biggest group guy right now uh like move was 280 so I'm sitting there, I would just be hammering people, knocking them. They weren't uh, unconscious, but they were going unconscious. But what's the point of that? That was ego and stupidity because I was young and dumb. Now, I basically, we tip-tap, you know, because I said, you know, we're older. We to, there's no point. You can still learn this. You can go 100% speed and 20% power if you really know what you're doing. If not, you're not good enough. You can get control. Well, I, I, think, I think you brought up a really good point about what we consider a knockout. Um, it wasn't until way, way later in my fighting, I hate to use the word career, but in my fighting journey that mm -hmm. I got TKO'd and the referee stopped the fight and I kept arguing with, well, I didn't argue with the ref because my Sifu, Sifu Rani Sigiri told me, professor now, <coughs> never argue with the ref. I didn't argue with them, but I definitely 
I accepted the loss, but I kept saying I was fine. He just rung my bell. I kept saying that. I was fine. He just he's kicked me in the chin and rung my bell. And I watched the video. You see my knee buckle a little bit, but I immediately climbed for the clinch. But then later, when I watched more fights uh, for that venue, and also when I started watching, I started really analyzing a lot of a lot of modern UFC tape, I realized that refs, the referee's job is to protect the fighter from getting excessive brain damage. So what I this whole time thought was getting your bell rung, which is when you get your chin racked and you see double for a little bit. Right. I considered that getting your bell rung. And in my day from old school college, Kembo, you'd be asked if you can continue and you would continue and use your choice. Right. But nowadays that would be considered a TKO, not a KO like out cold, yeah. but that would be considered a technical knockout because your brain's rattling. And if you can't defend yourself for the next three or four seconds, they'll call the fight. I have no idea. <laughs> I had no clue that old school mentality to, the, to what's, what was really happening. And then I thought about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been TKO'd so many times because <laughs> I just never saw it as that. <laughs> also, too, a lot of people understand when you get TKO'd, it's like, yeah, it may have only been a second, but what could that person have done when you were a moment? You know, like you got in a clinch, you try to maybe do like a takedown, you know, maybe do a body lock and take it down or whatever. Great. But maybe you were wrong just after you thought it was only a split second, but it was a second. Last second, the guy could have just really finished you and you could have some more brain damage. So, yeah. um, you know, I I, um, I really, when I was in my early 20s, I I know of at least four or five people that I, I well, I caught them, so they were knocked out. And I'm going, these are friends of mine. And then one day I said, because I was winning, I thought, hey, this is fun. And the people didn't want to spar against me. And I was like, oh, how come? And they're like, because yeah, you're not getting it hard. You're having a great time. It's like my one night, I had eight for four days after I sparred with you. One round, and I'm like, so I was like, wow, what a jerk. I didn't think about it. I was competitive because again, they had a lot of my friends weren't athletes. They had just done the martial arts, and they weren't used to being like that competitive. I was like, hey, I want to win, and I was like, I just want to learn. So I was like, you know, that was my point when I first started. And you know, for a short time, I did go. I, I felt like a the wrong path. And I and I was like, you know. I need to go back to, again, having fun, exercise, and learning, and then that never happened again. Knock on wood, I've never hurt anybody, and I'm proud of that, actually. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't need to be the baddest guy. There's tons of people better than me, and I have no problem doing that. Yeah, yeah. So, and those young guys down at the UFC, I mean, with the roids going on, I mean, I know some of them. I know some of the things they told me, and, you know, a lot of them are on different things. I never took anything, and uh, I never would have. I never would The sacrifices some of those guys make, even with the uh, losing weight, trying to cut weight and then going unconscious, uh, some urinating blood I know of, and stuff like that, you know, I never wanted to be a champion, so never liked it, I never wanted my blood cold. so God bless them, I hope they're all healthy, I still want to see these guys in their 40 and 50 crippled, because I know that there's no retirement program. You know, yeah, so. yeah, so we're almost wrapped up, that, that, um, man, yeah, time flies, so, <laughs> But before we, before I wrap everything up, is there anything? Oh, yes. The question, the question I ask most instructors, um, someone walks up to you, says they want to start training in martial arts. What should they look for in a school or an instructor? Well, first of all, it depends what they want out of the art. Some people may not want to, maybe some guys want UFC. Maybe some people want to be professional kickboxer and boxers. Maybe some are doing it for kickbox aerobics, just to lose weight. Maybe some people are doing it for health, for tranquility and peace of mind. So first I ask them, what are they looking for first? Because I can tell them what school that I, I think they want to learn MMA and also they want to learn Tai Chi and they go, they're terrified, never come back. 
So that's the first thing I ask, what are you doing it for? Is it for self-defense? Is it for health? Um, is it just to want to get in the ring? Hey, if it is, then, then I'll guide them. Because to me, there is no like perfect art. To me, I go, okay, what are you looking for? Like when I work with police, well, um, I've, worked with, I've worked with officers for years here and then I go, I can't show them the same thing because some of it, like liability, lawsuits, you, know, you can't teach them that. You know, it's like, I know you interviewed Michelle, and we're very, very close friends. And, and actually, um, I, you know, I try to do everything I can to be part of her because we help each other. We're good friends. But her challenge is taking this beautiful art of Lua and trying to share it with the world. Well, it's like, there's, diff- there's she has so many different opportunities, but also so many different ways you have to present it. So you can't present the same thing you're doing like a women's self-defense or like women empowerment than you do to like the police. So to me, all this stuff is neat and challenging. It just keeps me going because I tell people as a joke, I want to be 90 and feared. Like that old man can bring you with that cane. So, you know, that's what I want. I just want to keep helping people. And I, so when people give me that, I want to learn martial arts. Like, well, what do you want to learn it for? And then I give them some ideas. I tell them, Google this, look at this, because I'm not, I'm not, I could be totally wrong in my assumption. So that's what I do. So I, I never have people come train with me. I, because I go, I'll show a few things. If you have fun, great. If not, um, mine's a specific taste. And, and I've trained with other people, which I did up time. There's even some more I came with. And they, you know, I can't say, I, I don't specifically do one thing. So I show things. If you have fun, great. If not, hey, then it's in my backyard. I have, everybody's been in my backyard for 24 years. And I won't be on the public. I'm a guy in a cave. And I'm proud of that, that I can just help people for hopefully for the next 50 years. So. Well, you heard it here, folks. Uh, definitely customize what your goals are to what you want to do before you start training someplace. Um, is there anything you want to promote? Uh, I mean, if anybody has any questions, of course, you can look at my website. It's chairs, C-H-A-I-R, chi, C-H-I, at uh, www.chairchi.com. So cool. I don't... You know, if anybody has any questions, my phone number's on there. If you need anything, I mean, I'm always um, willing to share and help and try to take the, the, my goal is get the next generation to keep spreading the arts because um, we don't want these great arts and these great artists, these legends to die without them keep going. So I know like with Michelle, that's her thing. She's sharing Solomon's goal. And I think that's awesome. So to me, we need to keep these legends and not have people forget about Because the other day I was on a plane and I said something about Bruce Lee, and the kid looked at me like, who's Bruce Lee? And like, John, we don't want that stuff to die. So. Yeah, no, I, I was just, one of my students, I was telling him about Bruce Lee, and he's like, the actor? I've heard a little bit of the actor. I just didn't know, like, how much of it transferred. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's definitely, it, times are changing. So www.chairchi.com. Um, C-H-A-I-R-C-H-I.com, www. For the podcast listeners, there it is. Um, Pat, thank you so much for taking your time to share your story um, and tell everyone, you know, your perspective on martial arts. I think it's it's definitely um, very, very unique and needed. And for, my pleasure. And then for my listeners, thank you so much for listening to Social Jello with Angelo. Please subscribe. I forget to say this sometimes so please subscribe uh to the channel that's how i'm not making any money off this but if for some reason i want this to grow which i do because I, I like talking about martial arts and psychology um please subscribe 
and share it with your friends. Uh, the channel has podcasts and also uh, instructionals and martial arts stuff as well as a bunch of other stuff. So check it out. And I'll catch you all next time. Peace.